Welcome to the Cigar Snob Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez. In this episode, we're going to be listening to the second part of Eric Calvino's and my conversation with Benji Menendez, who is a veritable legend in the cigar industry. Uh, in the first part, which if you haven't heard, you want to stop here, go back, listen to that interview for the sake of context. Uh, in that first part of the interview, we talked about uh, Benji's family history and personal history and his career in the tobacco and, and cigar worlds. In this part of the interview, uh, we talk more about Benji's perspective on the current state of the industry and where he sees the future of premium hand-rolled cigars going. Uh, so we're going to lead in this particular episode with a bit of audio that you already would have heard at the very end of the last episode, just for the sake of context, so that you know it doesn't feel like you're totally discombobulated if you uh, forget where we left off. Uh, and then from there, the rest of this conversation with Benji Menendez. Um, so thanks again to, to Benji for spending all this time with us at the office. And I think that uh, especially if you uh, know the premium cigar world pretty well, his perspective is going to be very interesting because it's rare that you get this much time with a person who has so much experience but who's also not currently uh, in the game, so to speak. So anyway, with that, here is the rest of our interview with cigar legend Benji Menendez. And when you hear all the rumors that go in the industry about large corporations, you say, well, am I right? I think so. <laughs> I think so. But then a lot of people on this conglomerate would not like to hear me say this because they think they have the and well, I, th I think the small companies, the private companies, the privately owned companies are the future of this industry, of the premium. Yeah, we're talking strictly premium cigars. Right. When you talk about mass market, that's something else. I don't get involved with that. But I love premium. So how do you feel when, when a conglomerate or a large corporation, a multinational corporation that produces premium cigars uh, enlists the help of a family-owned cigar manufacturer to make premium cigars for them. For example, uh, we have A.J. Fernandez making uh, making premium cigars for Altadis, making premium cigars for General. Uh, how do you feel about those scenarios? How do you feel? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's proof that what I'm saying is true. They have to go to a privately owned company to get results for them. They don't need it. I mean, with brands like they have, it's unbelievable. Brands like Monte, Monte, uh, Monte Cristo or Romeo or Upman or... What have they done with all these brands? What happened to each Upman? What happened to Monte Cruz? Monte Cruz was the number one brand in the United States. What happened? And they, they go down. And you talk about general. And you say, hey, what happened with Portugal? Ramon Ayones. 
Ramon Ayones, at one point in time, was the number one factory in in, in Cuba. Well, and that's a, an interesting example also because you've got the Ramon Ayones now that is made by AJ. By AJ, yeah. It's... So you see all this... Oh, God. <laughs> that's okay. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> all these companies are looking for smaller for smaller companies to do their their thing but you see they are looking for these smaller companies why do they have anybody in these companies that knows more about tobacco or manufacturing than the conglomerates i wonder i really wonder so do you do you uh, in the end do you look at that as a as a positive development, or do you look at it as a, as a negative development? The, uh, the use of private labels coming from uh, small factory-owned... I think it's a temporary... Uh, so- sorry, small family-owned factories making, uh, making cigars. I think it's a temporary thing. I think it's a temporary thing until <clears throat> they become disgusted with it. And this is, there is a reason for this. When a private company, a personal family-owned company makes a million dollars, that's a heck of a lot of money. When a conglomerate makes a million dollars, they're losing their shirt. Even though the manufacturing costs are not there? It doesn't matter. There's The amount of money that they need to produce is so much bigger Yeah. that to them, a million dollars, it means nothing. A million dollars, they may lose... They, they may uh, use yeah, for, for for those companies, it's, for an account, advertising. it's an accounting error. But a million dollars for a family, that's big money. Yeah. <laughs> that's big money. And this is why I say this is a transition until they come to realize, hey, what's the use? And you might see, you might see, there are rumors about it, but I won't go for for the rumors. But you may see some of the large companies selling out good, well-known brands. You may know. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying, if one of these large conglomerates sells a big brand, are they keeping the small factory? Where's the logic here? I don't yeah. understand. I'm, yeah. I'm too old and my brain is not working that good. Well, and, and part of that, I think, you know, uh, is a little bit of a, some artificial forces in the market, especially with the FDA, because now, unfortunately, you see some of these private companies or smaller companies or whatever we may want to call them looking down the road at the prospect of how will I ever be able to afford the attorneys that I'm going to have to keep on retainer to stay in compliance with all of the... And, and at that point, it creates an opportunity for... And it's a totally understandable move yep. for these large companies to say, okay, if you want to stay alive, your only option is <laughs> come over to, to this side of things. Let us, you know, buy you out. But uh, there are a lot of dangers in that, in, that, in that respect because you're giving up the big money makers for a smaller company, will you be able to make AJ 
or whatever into a large company as big as Macanudo. I don't know. I don't know. But this is this is the thing that I see very confusing in the market today. Mm-hmm. And to me, it stands more the idea that a family-owned company is the future yeah. for premiums, yeah. not uh, for the industry as I'm a whole. I'm curious as to whether, uh, whether there are companies that stand out in your mind, especially uh, maybe younger companies that you've seen and you think it's, it's promising to see these people doing it in a way that, you know, that is true to those traditions. To me, to me, you take somebody like Fuente, or you say Pepin Garcia. They are companies that are relatively, and I want to stress relatively, right. because I'm talking when you compare to the big conglomerates. Yeah, I think a lot of smokers, they walk into a humidor, and they see the ornate bands and the beautiful, and they imagine that the companies behind these cigars are these massive, you know, but they're, they're very small companies. In the Again, end. in relation. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. My crystal yeah. ball doesn't have yeah. that much. But but there are people who you see who you, you think, like, there. If, if there is a future for, you know, for these privately owned companies. I think companies. it's a small company or yeah. privately owned company. Sure. You know, there's a company that, very little spoken about, mm-hmm. but it's it's got uh, Blanco hockey. Hochi Blanco. Hochi Blanco. Blanco. Yeah, Tabacalera Palma. La Palma. Mm-hmm. I think that guy has a future. Oh, it takes time. Remember the old saying: Rome wasn't built in a day. Or, nor was La Romana. <laughs> La Romana wasn't built in a day. <laughs> you know, La Romana has gone up and down and up and down. Where will it lead? Right. I don't know. So when, when, these, uh, when these conglomerates uh, get out of the premium cigar business slowly... Uh, it's, it's extremely dangerous for the premium cigar industry because the lobbying dollars uh, towards uh, FDA regulation and things of that nature, the lobbying dollars are with the big companies. So when they slowly back out of the cigar industry, of the premium cigar side, that creates a, a very dangerous environment no, for, for legislation have, against the... Uh, no, because they have also their mass market. And that's where the money is. Yeah. The money is not on the on the on the premium. Yeah, but the level of regulation that mass market can, uh, let's say, deal with, for lack of a better term, is not the same re- level of regulation that premium cigars can deal with. And so that's that's where the problem comes in. In other words, the, in a, in a way, the small guys almost need the the weight of the big guys to for, to fight that fight. Correct. And so that's that's where it becomes dangerous. You see, a a mass market. A uh, cigarette company can uh, can deal with component testing, and because the the profit margins are there and the volume is there, but in premium cigars and their manufacturing, 
they cannot handle no. component testing and the fees that are associated with that. So that creates, again, a, to me, a dangerous environment, uh, a dangerous regulatory environment for the premium cigar business. It is. It so, is. so I lo- I tend to look at things, uh, you know, with a more optimistic view. And so my hope is that, uh, and I, obviously you <clears> can hope all you want, right? And reality is reality. But I always I hope a- that that conglomerates stay in premium cigars and make that a vibrant part of their business that helps drive their mass market business uh, mm-hmm. because if they don't, then we're in a very dangerous situation for, for the premium cigar business. I have a question about the FDA. Supposed to be, as of 2007, prior to 2007, whatever it was, okay, there was talk about Cuba coming into the market. Cuba was not in 2007. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Yeah, those those are all questions yeah. that that uh, that remain uh, unanswered. That, that, Unless the are, argument becomes that they were in before the embargo, and then there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that. Oh, there's, there's, there's up, many more questions than, than there are answers in, in the, in the FDA side of things. Absolutely. And so I, I'd rather not go so deep down that because that's I we're, we're not, we're not going to have a whole I'm, lot of answers I'm, I'm, there. I agree with you because I, yeah. even, I know a billion times less than you do. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Not, not, not even close. <laughs> because I, I'm, not, I'm out of it. I'm out of it. I don't follow it that close. But you guys do. Sure. Now, going back to, to the cigars themselves... And so, right now, you're smoking a Sin Compromiso, mm-hmm. which was it was our cigar of the year uh, for 2018. What what are your thoughts on that particular cigar? You mentioned earlier that you you thought it was a good cigar and that uh, it had a good ash. I think uh, I forgot about the ash. Yeah, I <clears throat> I think it's a good cigar with good enough strength. I hate to have this cigar with more strength. I agree. I agree. That would be a, a kick in the chest. I would, and you're at this level of strength. You're able to enjoy it. You're able to get the flavors. This the is aromas. what this is what I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm looking for uh, certain strength. Yes, but not too much. When you put too much strength, what happens is you take a lot of the flavor away. So this is something that is right. At a level where you can enjoy the the strength and the flavor, and this is what I like about this cigar. I I'm enjoying it. I have I haven't smoked it more because when I talk, I forget about the oh, cigar. Oh, yeah, the same yeah. thing happens to me all the time. <laughs> Besides, I'm I'm a very slow cigar smoker. I like to smoke slowly, mm-hmm. but then when I talk, I forget about it. <laughs> I, I wonder now that we're talking about Sin Compromiso which is made uh, by Steve Saka's company or manufactured at Hoya which actually is still still relevant to the question that I was going to ask so it's made by Hoya de Nicaragua for Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust which is Steve Saka's company as somebody who lived that Cuban cigar industry before the revolution and then went to Spain and then the Dominican and of course you've had contact with people all over I wonder what your perspective is on the way that the culture 
of the cigar industry has changed because now there are so it, it, there was of course a time when it was Cuba was was this it wasn't the epicenter it was the cigar world and now you have people like Steve Saka who doesn't have a connection to Cuba and uh, companies like Hoya de Nicaragua who sort of uh, you know I don't know what what you call it inherited their cigar culture from Cubans who went to Nicaragua I wonder how you see that and what your view is of <coughs> the way that that from a cultural perspective the cigar world has changed but Alejandro has some very good people in Hoya de Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure, of course. I, I, I have been there years ago, and I know, I, I know Alejandro uh, very well. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a great guy to begin with. But and Again, to, to help people who are not able to keep up, Alejandro being Dr. Alejandro Martinez Cuenca, which is the owner of, right. uh, of Hoya de Nicaragua. You know, at one point in time, he was part of uh, <clears throat> Altadis, or, sorry, Tabacalera, owned Hoya de Nicaragua. Come a little closer to the mic. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's okay. At one point in time, Hoya uh, de Nicaragua, because it was part of Hulk Roar, mm-hmm. and Tabacalera bought Hulk Roar, uh, it was part of a, and it was Theophos who sold uh, Alejandro uh, Martinez Cuenca, uh, the Hoya de Nicaragua. So Hoya de Nicaragua at one point is owned by Tabacalera, and Theophos, who was the president of uh, Tabacalera at that time, sells Hoya so, de Nicaragua to uh, Dr. Uh, Martinez Cuenca. Right. So you do have, because because you were there during that time, you have some... Uh, some good intimate knowledge of of that factory, uh, yeah. They're they're making excellent cigars. The the cigars that they make for for Steve Saka, of course, and the cigars that they make for themselves are excellent. We can we can smoke something. There was only one uh, cigar <coughs> that I didn't like from uh, from the factory of Hoya de Nicaragua, and that cigar was, if I can remember the the, the name. But my problem with it, it was terribly strong. Uh, Antaño. Antaño. Yeah. Terribly strong, and I couldn't smoke it. it. It is. It is a very, very strong cigar. It's unapologetically strong. It will kick you in the chest. And if you like that kind of stuff, okay. But the old school Cuban, uh, again, philosophy of cigars does not jive with the Antaño. It is extremely strong. No, I, uh, that's the only cigar, and I haven't been able to <clears throat> to talk to Alejandro. I saw him a couple of times. I saw him a couple of times, but didn't have time to to really talk it with him. But, but that but that cigar is is sort of a a, a flag a flagship strong cigar. It's for hey, you like strong cigars? Here you go. Tell me what you think about this. Oh, <laughs> and that's that's kind of uh, that's where that sits, and that and that's okay. It has its place. Uh, how do you how do you feel about that trend of stronger cigars in the market? I don't think, I don't think, and maybe you guys can have a better uh, feeling on this. But many years ago, full body cigars. We're about 30% of the market. 
mm-hmm. medium body cigars were about 60% of the market. And very mild cigars, something like 10% or something like that. But I don't think the full body cigar keeps on going strong. As I said, you guys are in a much better position to know than me. I well, what, what we see in the market, and Nick, you, you may see something a little bit different, but what I see is I see that the, the very strong cigar has, has a limited amount of consumption because you just can't smoke that many of them. Mm-hmm. So what you find is you find guys that will say, oh, no, I only smoke full body, I only smoke full body, and then you spend some time with them in a cigar shop, and they're smoking some medium-bodied stuff, and then they'll smoke at the end of the night, they'll smoke one strong one, or vice versa, they'll start with a strong one. You know, everyone has their mentality. But, but yeah, there, there's no way to keep that consumption level of very, very strong cigars. It's just not... Uh, and, and I think from a, from a consumer perspective, I think also smokers, it's like any other product category, right? Like in, when there was the boom in bourbon, uh, people were just uh, whatever bourbon, whatever bourbon tastes the most bourbony with a bourbon yeah. right in my face, and then I think people begin to refine their palates a little bit, and I think you're seeing that in cigars a little bit, where even um, you know you've got uh, some of the uh, like Drew Estate, Drew Estate, who made their name with Liga Privada Number no. Nine, and it was this big broadleaf. You know, a lot of people love uh, Liga Number no. Nine, but now they've got Willy Herrera, who brings a much more Cuban mentality and. One of the you know new uh, flagship cigars there is Herrera Telly, which is a very Cuban style. But you like, you go to Cuban cigars today, they are not that strong. Right. Well, that's what I mean is that the non-Cubans like like Drew Estate, like even um, uh, you've got uh, some of the things that AJ Fernandez, who's also known for big strong cigars, some of his stuff now is um, like I love the the Monty by AJ and that is a more subdued and I wonder how much of that and Eric you might uh, Eric is looking for for cigars in the humidor right now uh, but I wonder how much of that is uh, the consumers but also the popularization of Mexican tobacco which brings a more subtle less it's a chocolatey strong it's not this big pepper you know kick you in the mouth we use when I say we I'm talking General Cigar. We use Mexican tobaccos on the blends of Macanudo and Portugues. A good percentage. Yeah. But you look at that, and it's considered a mild cigar. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a great cigar for a beginner. You start smoking, and you develop from there on. And I think that was Macanudo's job. And that's that, what that was its place in the industry, yeah. And that was... You know, today, uh, we're seeing a lot of that with uh, people coming into the business, smoking uh, acid Cuba Cuba and things like that, which are flavored, infused cigars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're using that as their intro cigar to the business. And so there's a difference there, right? You're talking about consumers uh, back in those days would come in with a very mild cigar that had very little flavor, very little strength, if any. 
Um, the, but they got into what it developed. was to smoke, and then and then they uh, then they developed their their sort of palate. Today, guys are coming in with flavored cigars. So when they come in with with flavored cigars, or again infused cigars, as their intro to the cigar world, that has a lot of there's a lot of there's intense flavor there's an intensity to the flavor uh, in an infused cigar or a flavored cigar. So their entry point to traditional cigars comes in a lot higher, as opposed to lower. But let me let me say right. This. So they come in because they need intensity <clears throat> to to keep up with it. When you talk about infused cigars, actually they are getting away from tobacco taste. Yeah. So how are you going to get them back into tobacco taste? That, that is exactly my point. So they have to come in at a very uh, at an intense flavor standpoint. So they come in a lot higher than the ones that were coming in with uh, mild but cigars. That, that yeah, it, it's a it's a state of State of the Union. Right <laughs> so, uh, do you want to do you want to switch gears to a different type of cigar? Uh, no, I'm enjoying this one. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm staying with it perfectly well. <laughs> As I said, I'm not I'm not smoking it fast because I'm talking. Yeah, it's a ringing endorsement for Steve. I'm sure he'll be glad to hear. He'll sure be more than happy to hear that. <laughs> so. Is there, aside from, you know, infused cigars versus mild cigars and those things like that, is there something that you see in consumers today, uh, aside from strength, because we've beaten that horse, I think. Yeah. No. Aside from strength, is there something uh, that you'd see that you see in consumers that you'd like to sort of inform them about or teach them about, like, hey, you know about this, like. You may not be doing this. Like earlier, you spoke about candela. Uh, what is there something that you think consumers are missing the boat on? Like, hey, you know that the Brazilian tobacco is like this, or th is there something along those lines? <clears throat> I think I think a lot of consumers are missing a big point in Dominican tobaccos. They have gone more to Honduras, Nicaragua. Yeah. Mainly Nicaragua, more than even Honduras. And I have smoked tobaccos in, uh, in Honduras, which, when you look at the history of this, you have to mention Angel Oliva and how, where did he start? growing tobacco in Honduras. It wasn't in Esteli. It wasn't in Olancho, but it was La Estrada. That's... And I saw... <clears throat> I remember going there and finding some of the more Cubanesque tobaccos and we're talking still Honduras or Dominican. No, no, yes, but I'm, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying this: uh, more Cubanesque tobaccos than anywhere else, except the original Dominican Republic Piloto Cubano. There were a lot of 
piloto cubano, Cuban Seed, growing in the American Republic. But it's not the original seed. I don't think so. And something which is very important, very, very important, the aging, the curing, the fermenting, and the aging of the tobacco. And I don't think we are doing a lot of that in today's market. Again, that means time, which means money. Yeah. And that a lot of people may not want to get involved in that. But if this Dominican tobacco, which I think could be had, what is the big criticism of Dominican? Strength. Lack of strength, yeah. Lack of strength. That's the biggest criticism. Why? Couldn't Dominican try to make something within Dominican tobacco stronger? And I'm going to say one thing. Dominican Republic, like Cuba, we have different areas of growing. Microclimates, yes. So what is, where is the problem? Just looking for the place where you can get this stronger tobacco in Dominican Republic. Because Dominican Republic has a certain flavor better than anywhere else. But it doesn't have the strength. So they have to look for a place where they can get the strength to get that tobacco up. The other thing is Dominican Republic is more expensive. Yeah, that's the bigger issue. Then that's a big issue than Honduras or Nicaragua. Yeah, the labor rates are, are labor much, much higher. It's much more Real expensive. Real estate is higher, everything is higher. In Dominican than it is in, in Honduras or Nicaragua. So that's something which is also very, very important. But I'm a strong Dominican lover. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because that's the way I started with non-Cuban tobacco. Yeah. And I, and I, I remember when we first tried uh, Cuban seed growing in in Dominican Republic. It was Carlos Toraño, yeah, the father, yes, of uh, and the grandfather. <laughs> so Carlos grew with um, in a fetab <clears throat> with. Uh, my memory sometimes, but I don't remember the name. And they grew some excellent tobaccos. And from the day one that I got this, I loved that tobacco. And my people asked me, are you going to use that tobacco? I said, I don't know. Because we don't know how big is this going to be. Because we have just samples which is a very small amount of tobacco relative to what we need. So we started putting some in to consume them. And as we were able to get more Cuban seed, we increased our 
usage of Cuban tobacco in Canaries until it became the big part of our of our blend. Cuban seed with Brazilian. But then this is something that I don't know, it depends on the on the growers and what they want. And the tobacco producers and I cannot say but I I would like to see Dominican tobacco getting a better strength than they have right now. So you you would like Dominican cigar growers, Dominican tobacco growers and Dominican cigar manufacturers making slightly stronger cigars. Yes. Uh, because you don't feel that the market can but I'm, shift but, down. But they are making they are making stronger cigars today. Yeah, La Dominicana makes very strong cigars. By bringing in yeah. uh, Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't speak to to what tobaccos they use to, to do that, but La Flor Dominicana, for example, is making stronger cigars. Fuente in the Opus X is a, is a strong cigar. Uh, so they're able to do it. Uh, but you're okay. saying that you would like more Dominican cigar manufacturers to make stronger cigars. Yes. Uh, because you don't think that the cigar consumer will ever come back to, say, the, the, the core Cuban style of cigars? Because, it, you know, the market ebbs and flows. <clears throat> It, it, let me, it changes. I mean, there's, there's yes, no... But let me say one thing. The market depends on the quality of the product. Absolutely. And of course... Especially the U.S. market. No, no I'm talking U.S. market. Yeah, yeah. The U.S. market uh, is the most demanding market, which is a beautiful... I, I, that's one of the things I love about our market over here. But, but it, it depends we a lot. We demand quality. It depends a lot on the quality of that product. And I say today, in Dominican Republic, most manufacturers, I'm not saying all, but I'm saying most manufacturers will use or are using Honduras or Nicaragua tobacco in their blend because they don't feel comfortable with the strength of the Dominican tobacco. So they bring in tobacco. So let's, let's clarify something here about that. So, the tobacco plant has the strong end of it, right? There's no. It's not like the the Dominican tobacco plant uh, lacks ligero. It's there. So, is it that? Is it that the ligero in these Dominican, let's say, piloto cubano grown in the Dominican or olor dominicano? Um, is it that when you get to the ligero, the flavor is? Uh, Compromised by its strength too much? Is it no? W- no what is it? No, because you can blend it, and you say. Yeah. So why is it that that, that you say, have to go out? But like I said before, <clears throat> you have a, a certain percentage of ligero, a certain percent of, of seco. So yeah, the plant is the plant. A, a certain percent of volado. So what you do is you blend, and you say, okay, ligero by itself is too strong. I, I agree. Got it. Yeah. But we can use. Seco or volado. Volado will f- uh, will improve the burning sure, uh, of, the, of the of the combustion of the of the cigar. So that is something that you have to play around with the blend to see where you want to reach. Mm-hmm. Now you will always be limited 
by a certain amount, as I said, about 30%, yep. which is ligero. So if you say, okay, I want to make a strong cigar, I'm, hey, there's only so much you can use. There's only so much you can use. So are you saying the... And again, this is just looking to clarify things for people because we talk about the strength of Dominican versus the strength of Nicaraguan or uh, Honduras. But we know, right, logically, that the strength in the plant is there regardless of what country you're from. Are you saying that the, let's say, the seco in a Nicaraguan cigar, which the seco has a lot more flavor, a lot more aroma, less strength, is still a little stronger let me let me go a little bit into this. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe the strength will be about the same, except that they take all the suckers, mm-hmm. which are taking. And by, and by taking the suckers, what what uh, what you're referring to is during uh, the growth of the tobacco plant, as the plant starts to grow sprouts. Uh, coming out of the stock, you take them off to increase the strength. That is what I call suckers. Yeah, yeah, no, and it is. I'm just explaining it for the people listening who may not know what suckers are because it's a funny <laughs> word. <laughs> sucker, sucker, keep it sucker free. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is what I said a lot of times. Cleaning that plant to allow them to create all the strength all the nutrients into the leaves the nutrients and not being wasted on things that you're going to throw away correct not that's not so so are you saying are you asking for dominican growers to manage their harvest better is that what you're saying i would say so yeah i would say so again and so you're saying that the nicaraguan uh and honduran growers tend to manage that better yes Yes. Why would that be? Do you have any cost? Yeah, you're right. Cost. Mm. Just they can afford to be able to do this. Yeah. In Dominican because of the cost. It's almost like like micromanaging the plant. And you can afford to micromanage the plant when the labor rates are low. That's interesting to It's it's a part of the it makes perfect sense, but it's a part of the process that you don't think of naturally, I think, when you're thinking of how labor costs yeah. affect all this. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that there's there's a Dominican cigar, a Dominican tobacco grower right now, very upset, thinking, "What are you talking about? We do this, but you, you know, we're, this is just a." No, and I'm sure there are Nicaraguans who maybe don't do it, but, sure, but, but sure. I think we're speaking in generalities. Here. Yeah, you know, one thing which is very important. A lot of people will hear me say this, and say, "You're crazy." This guy's crazy. I am. <laughs> that's what we'll make that. But the that's, title my the <laughs> that's my opinion. That's my opinion. This guy who has spent a lifetime in tobacco is absolutely crazy. Doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I got no problem with that. I got no problem. <laughs> All right. So I, I think uh, I think this is as people were thinking. This is a crazy old man. We will we will end this here. It's a good place to go. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Uh, I can guarantee you, he is not crazy. Uh, but I want to thank you for for taking the time uh, to share your knowledge and your experiences and the history uh, that you shared with us. Like like Nick said earlier, there's there's uh, th- I don't think we've had a podcast where we've both looked at each other like I'd never heard that one. <laughs> you know, so yeah. 
So I really, Guys, I've enjoyed the company. I really appreciate and it. I, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to no, discuss thank you for a lifetime in tobacco and, and sharing it with us. So Absolutely. really appreciate it. It is my opinion. It doesn't have to be right. <laughs> the opinion, that's my opinion. Like the, the opinions of our guests do not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like the what's the title of that Charles Barkley book? Uh, I could be wrong, <coughs> but I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you very much, Benji. My pleasure. <laughs>